0: We're going to start off by looking in Judges chapter 4 at a woman by the name of Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess of God. She was a legitimate prophet. She was called by God into service. She's the fourth judge prior to the kings coming in place. She's the only woman to be counted among the judges in the entire book of the judges. But she is, in fact, a woman. And she did, in fact, judge Israel for, I believe, tw- around 20 years.
1: Uh, interestingly enough, it talks about that
0: uh, she's the wife of a guy named Lipidoth, which is mentioned elsewhere as being like, like a um, a teacher. In Jerusalem, so he was some form of like a college teacher type thing. And we're going to look at the fact that there was a lot of misunderstandings about a lot of things. And one of them is what we're going to talk about today, which is a woman's place in the church. We're going to look read the entire chapter of Judges. It's a little bit four. little long, but we'll get through it. And we're going to start in the first verse. It says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. When Ehud, or Ehud, depending on how you say it, was dead, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned at Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelled in Heroth of the Gentiles. He's a Philistine, basically, which means he was one of the worst of the worst. Verse 3. And the children of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, who she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelled under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and called Barak. Depends on who it is. It's either Barak or Barak. The son of Abinoam out of Kadeshif Ephrita or Naphtali, right, Kadeshif. Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulon, and I will draw to you to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand." And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. Let's stop there and make a point. At this time, this was a very oppressive time in the history of the humanity for women. And so for there to be a woman on the battlefield at this time would have been considered an insult. the army that you were fighting I'm not saying women can't fight I'm just saying at this time in history that would have been a problem Barak is obviously hoping she won't
1: go he's saying if you go I'll go hoping she won't go Barak is a coward no way around it
0: Barak should have been the judge of Israel but you see right there, he was a coward, and he wouldn't do it. So he says to go with him. Number nine, said, number, verse nine says, And she said, I will surely go with you. Notwithstanding the journey that you take shall not be for your honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So she's saying, God says, you won't stand up. You're not going to get the glory for this. It's Not going to happen. 10. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. Now Hebor, the Kenite, which was of the children of Habab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent in the plain Of Zawanaim, which is Abai Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam was gone up to the mountain Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Herosheth of the Gentiles and of the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out to be for you? So Barak went down from the Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak. So that Sisera lightened down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. So what happened here is... Contrary, if you ever watched the uh, movie, The Ten Commandments, um, Yul Brenner talks about how that God is a terrible general. God is an amazing general because you notice what he did. He told them, get yourself 10,000 men and go to the top of this mountain. They will see you going there and they will chase you. And then you come down upon them. If anyone's ever read a book called The Art of War, having the high ground is 50% of the battle. That's half the battle. You have the high ground, you have the battle, basically. So what happened is, Deborah said, this is what God says, turn around and run towards them. So imagine, even with 900 chariots, you have 10 times that many people running downhill at you. Cicero was overwhelmed to the point that he just got off and ran. Because it looked like a swarm just coming at him and his whole entire army fell because of that. So like I said, God did exactly, God told them what to do. He didn't even rely on the people. God literally told them, this is what you do to be successful. And it was, it's perfect tactical warfare. If you're fighting a war, have God on your side because God is an amazing general. Now, <laughs> starting in 16, it says, But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host of Heroseth to the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. So Barak didn't even follow him. That's the general. Barak's a general. He's supposed to follow. He didn't. 17. However, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael the wife of Hebor, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of of Hezra, and the house of Hebor, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn to me, fear not. And when he had turned into her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. It's like a big rug or type of thing. And he said unto her, give me, I pray you, a little water to drink, <laughs> for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink and covered him. I want to point out again, first of all, this is two things. First of all, I think just think it's hilarious. Just give me some water. and She gives him some milk. But the point, reason why she does this, again, very smart. Someone's thirsty. Someone's hot. Someone's dehydrated. Give them milk. What are they going to do? They're going to fall asleep. They're going to fall asleep. So he covered it and he covered it up. Again he said to her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be, when any man does come and inquire of you and say, Is there any man here that you say no? Then Jael, Hebor's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly to him, and smote the nail into his temple, and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out of the tent to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he came into the tent, her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now, the next chapter is actually what is referred. Chapter five is called the Song of Deborah. It is literally the earliest form of Hebrew poetry that we know of. It was written long ago, 13, somewhere between eleven and 1300 years BC. So a very long time ago. It was of the oldest, and it's amazing, too. It's amazing. It tells the story again, tells the whole story we just said, but tells it in a real poetic form. Amazing poetry. It was written for, by, by Deborah so that it could be sung as, as like a winning song. But we see what happened here. There were men that were called to be the head. Barak was generally, obviously, supposed to be the guy that God called to do it. You know what he did? He was a coward, and he didn't do it. So
1: what happened? God raised him up, up a woman to get the job done. God will get the job done. Doesn't
0: matter if it's a man. Doesn't matter, matter if it's a woman. I'm going to just sort of leave this here for a second, and we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I should have had a sound that goes dun dun dun. Because First Timothy chapter two, starting in the eighth verse. <laughs> We're going to show, and it says, I went, therefore, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Nine. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array but which becomes women professing godliness with good works but the women learn in silence with all subjection but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence for Adam was first formed and then Eve and Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and was in the transgression notwithstanding shall we be saved she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity, and holiness with sobriety. Like I said, that's the dun-dun-dun passage, because that is the passage that gets used to beat women over the head for about 2,000 years now, pretty much since the moment that it went. I want to bring your attention to the word in the 12th verse that says, usurp. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. I don't know about you, but now I am reading out of the King James. It sounds a little different because I, as I go, I change the these and the thou's to you and your so that it sounds clear, so that it's real, so everybody understands what I'm saying. Because not everybody's reading along in a Bible, not necessarily. I know you guys are, but not always. So, but I'm in the King James, I believe the translators. Use the best words available. The words that mean what God wanted them to mean. That they mean exactly what he intended them to say. The word usurp is a verb. It means to take a position of power or importance illegally or by force. It is synonymous with the words seize, take over, take possession of, illegally commandeer, wrestle away power. Take the place of someone in a position of power being taken out illegally. Supplant. Encroach. Infringe upon somebody's right. Paul says, I suffer not, meaning I allow not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. He is making a very clear statement that gets very muddled today that if a guy is available doing his job. Then the woman does, is not to by force force him out of the position so she can have that position. That's what's being said. Consider it usurp. That's what one king does when he forces out another king. That's what a queen does when she forces the king off the throne so she can reign. Usurp is not talking about... Because people say, well, a woman can't lead. A woman can't lead. We just saw Deborah. We just saw Deborah lead. Why? Because the guy was a coward. The guy refused to do what he did. Now, we follow... What Paul's teachings are, which is very clear that God has a system put in place that God put here. Now, we've already gone over that God is an amazing general. We've already gone over the fact that when God told them how to go into this land and how to garden, He explained to them how to garden. And it is the best form of gardening that literally in the last hundred years we've started doing again for the first time. And We have enough food to feed entire amounts of people, even in countries that shouldn't have enough farmland to feed those people. Why? Because God is an amazing gardener. You know what? I have a little secret for you. God is the best at everything. (laughs) He's the best at everything. He's not going to tell you something that isn't the best. You can choose not to do it, but He's going to tell you the best. So He put a form in, uh, in in place. He put a system in place. And it is that the man is to have God as his head. The God is over the man. The man is not the head of anything, necessarily. He is as God as his, think of it as an umbrella, over him. He is to follow God in all things. And if he's following God a way he should, he will consider all variables. He will consider his wife, his children, the people. God is to be the umbrella. But then the man is a littler umbrella that shields his family. He's to consider the family. He's to, if now, again, if the man is not doing it, God expects full well for the woman to step up and do what she has to do. God says for the woman not to usurp authority, but if a man is illegitimately out of authority, then she has every right to do what she has to do. Okay, and let's just say that this means a woman is never allowed to teach ever over a man. What age? Go to any church in the country, go into the children's department. Who's teaching? Woman. Okay. What age does that stop? What age is he a man? Eight?
1: Say no. 13?
0: 15? Well, he's still got his mom over top of him at the very least, even if he doesn't have a teacher in the church. At what point is he no longer a child, and now he's a man and she's not allowed to exercise any sort of teaching or do anything? She can't tell him nothing. First of all, I would say that if anybody ever tells you, you can't tell me nothing, they probably got a lot to learn. Second of all, I believe God leaves that open for the purpose that we can decide in a case-by-case basis it's not all the time it's not going to always be i can tell you of a church in barberton that had a split and basically half the people left and the men who were there were like The eh. one guy literally been he'd been in going to that church for 44 years they said can you preach he said i don't know nothing about the Bible." I can't do that. If any one of you worked at a job that you just worked one day a week, you just went there one day a week for even an hour and sat there and watched the person do something, and they had you reading along, and after forty years you said, "Oh, I don't know nothing about that."
1: Uh, one has to question that. One has to. I mean, it could be anything.
0: It could be. Um, uh, you know, doing concrete. You sat to watch somebody for an hour every week for 40 years. Hey, can you do the concrete? I don't know about
1: the concrete. What? Or are you just
0: a coward and not willing to do the job? Well, guess what? A woman stepped up and took the reins and did what the man wouldn't do and kept the church going until something got set up in its place. She was a Deborah, a modern-day Deborah. She didn't usurp authority. She allowed space. But guess what? He didn't take it. She did what she had to do. God raises up people to do what they need to do to get the job done. God has a system in place. If there is somebody willing to do the job, then let them do the job. Honestly, I, I agree with the concept that most women shouldn't be preaching. You know why? I think it's a waste of time and effort for the most part. I think (laughs) preaching is the least job that you do at the church. Okay, so I'm talking to you guys. Great. Now what are you going to do? Go out into the world and be the church. Bring people into the church. Have organization. have, Have events. Do things that with your life you are being a minister of the gospel. The time in here, this is just a time where I can get you guys. I can give you a few things. I can kind of get you some information that maybe you didn't glean yourself. And then I send you out into the world. And hopefully you guys are doing the job of ministers in the world. Every one of you. Yeah. Not just one of you. Not just the guys. Every one of you. And I expect Honestly, I expect the women to be doing a much better job than the guys. Yeah. I live in the United States of America. I've lived here for a while. I totally expect the women to wear their religion on their sleeves, and the guys to act like they have no idea what you're talking about. That's what I expect in the United States of America in 2018. I expect that if you go to a family and you say do you go to church, the guy will go I eh, am. Yeah. The woman will go Yes, I do, three times a week, because she's the one is usually the driving force. But you know what? There's a stat that Lifeway, which is the Southern Baptist Convention, has put out. If a woman goes to church at least once a week, there's a 75% chance, I believe it's 75% chance, I left the paper at home, that her children will get saved and continue in church.
1: There is a less than 50% chance that the husband will be saved or converted.
0: If a guy goes to church At least once a week, 90% of the time the spouse gets converted and 80% of the time the children get converted. Why? Honestly, I believe it's a system that God put in place. If you can get to the men, you can get to the family. If you read through the New Testament, it generally says, and he got saved and his household with him. Why? Because there is an innate sense inside of us that there is a structure, there's a leadership, there's a sense to it. And a guy should not be clamoring for the position of power because the position as the head is not a position of power. It should be a position of service. Jesus Christ is the ultimate head of everything, the church The body, he is the head. And what did he do? He got down on his knees and washed the feet of the people he came to save. It is not a position of power. It is a position of service. And if the man is not more service oriented than his wife, he is in sin. And I'm telling you, go throughout this country, go throughout this world, The women are the driving force in the church. Why? Because the men are cowards and the women step up when they're called. What is a woman's position in church? She is to be a support, to help, to hold up, to prop up. And when there's nobody above her to prop up, She does what needs to get the job done. Not usurping authority. Not saying, I want the power. I want the position. Anybody, man or woman, says, I want the power, they're wrong. 100% of the time. And I'm going to go and talk. Well, first of all, I just want to hit this point. Do you know the reason why Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach? He says, I don't allow a person to teach. A woman to teach. Because Paul's there. Why would he need somebody else to preach? That's his job. <laughs> Paul's saying, I don't let people teach. Why? Because it's his job. That's what he's there to do. He's, the, he's supposed to do it. He's supposed to be heading these churches. So he's saying, when I'm there, I don't do it. So if you've got somebody in charge, let them preach. Let them teach. Let them be the one who does it. They don't need somebody else. The word subjection. so in Greek means First person, this is what it means. I put myself under. I myself, or uh, I subject myself to. I submit myself to. I place myself under. Second person would be he, she, they. Let's put she for this sake. She places herself under. She submits herself. She places herself she allows herself to be placed under. It is not a position of weakness. It is something you do. You are not weaker than. You are willing to do what is called to be done. You put yourself in the position. As a guy, he is to be subject to God. Place himself Under God. It never says, men, put yourself over your wives. It says, men, be subject to God. And likewise, women, be subject to your husband. If your husband's following God, then being subject to him is the same as being subject to God. If he's not following God, guess what? You don't have to do it. You don't. I mean, it's an extreme example. But if Chip was like, okay, we're killing Cameron tomorrow. I would totally expect Brianna to be like, ah no. Mm-mm, sorry. And he'd say, Woman, I am under God and above you. I would fully expect her to say, mm, no. I don't think so. Why? That's not of God. That's not of God. If he says something other else crazy, then this is it, and I have the authority. No. If he takes himself humbly to God and says, what's the position? What do I got to do, God, to make this right? And then he says, I've thought about it. I've worked about this. This is the best thing. I have no doubt she's going to say, okay, this is what we have to do. Because it's even if she's not 100% okay with it, okay, I understand. Leave space for God to work. Leave space for God to work. We're gonna to jump to one Peter. So First Peter, so it's going back towards the end of your Bible a little more. First Peter three. First Peter three, and starting in the first verse, it says. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, by the way, your own husband, not every man, but somebody else's husband, and they're telling you something, you don't have to worry about that, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives." He's saying, even if your husband isn't saved, if you respect them through your actions, they may get saved. They may be saved through you. Two, while they behold, this is why, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, that's respect, Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning. Here we see again, they are talking about, don't worry about the outside of pleated hair, of wearing gold, of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price." For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, think Deborah, who trusted in God, adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. Not. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, have sympathy and be courteous. I want to point out again, it says, Be you a meek, a quiet, a humble heart will reach more people than an angry, a bitter, a, a contentious person. That's how life is. It's like in every situation. Well, let's, I want to flip this. This is a verse that I never want to hear a man. Quoting to the wife. Because this isn't to the man. This is to the wife. It's telling you. God is saying to you, follow what I put in place. I have your best in mind. Just trust me. Trust me. And if you are subjecting yourself to God, and if your husband or is subjecting themselves to God, you're not having to place yourself under just some man. You're putting yourself under God. That's how it should be. But also be willing to be strong enough that you are willing to step up. Know the difference. If the man is not being a man, know the difference. If you are prayerful, if you're paying attention to God's calling, God will tell you when to make these decisions. I also want to point out in the seventh verse, it says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. It's telling men what every man in America needs to hear. Study your wives, learn your wives, figure them out. They're complicated. They're complex. You're going to have to figure out what makes her tick, what doesn't, what anger, what, what to avoid, what to go with. You need to dwell with them with knowledge. Giving honor to the wife. Doesn't say Lord over her. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. I like to point out if she is a weaker vessel, that
1: means he is a weak vessel. And it is not saying
0: that she is weaker, it is saying to give honor as if she were the weaker vessel. Cherish her, love her, honor her as if she is something that you cherish. If you thought of yourself as holding something, you said this might break. Even if it's not okay, you know, it doesn't break. But if you cherish it, you don't want it to fall. You don't want it to break. You hold it. Like The word cherish comes from when sparrows, what they do with their eggs, where they, they make over the egg. They lay on the egg. They keep it warm. They keep it clean. They cherish the egg. Cherish the wife as if she were. It's not saying she is. It's saying as if. And honor. It doesn't say, again, lord over her because she's so weak. It
1: says honor her.
0: This is a command to men to do the right thing. Why? Because it's the right thing. It doesn't matter if you get respect back. It doesn't matter what she does. Do it anyways. And it says so to the wife. doesn't matter if he's respectable. doesn't matter if he's worthy of it. Put yourself under God. And if he's man enough, he will put himself under God and things will line up. Things will line up. Focus on God. Focus on God. Don't worry about what people say, what people think, what people act. God is the one we're concerned with. And so what is a woman's place in church? Right beside the men.
1: Being strong. Guiding. Guiding
0: directing, helping, supporting, doing all the things that we know mothers do every single day. And why? Why are you? Why do you do the things for your children that you do? Why do you sit up at 3 a.m. as they throw up and, you know, you tell them, get it in the bucket, get it in the bucket, and for some reason they tend to look at you as you're telling them, throw up in the bucket, and they keep looking at you as you're, they're throwing up. You're going, no, the bucket. The bucket. What do you, the, bu- no, not to the side of the bucket. The bucket. Why do you do that? Because you're lording over them? Because you cherish them. Because you love them. Because you're growing up. Them, you're raising them. You're showing them that charity, that love means something. You're teaching them. As women with little boys, you're teaching them how to respect women. As women with daughters, you're teaching them how to respect everyone. As mothers, you have the perfect example of everything we're talking about here. Deborah, if, I didn't actually read it, but if you go into the fifth chapter, it says Deborah is the mother of Israel in the poem. Why? Because she stood up for them when nobody else would. Who stands up for you when nobody else will? Your mom. Who is there? And the thing is, is was Deborah their physical mother? No. No. But she was a mother nonetheless. She took the position because nobody else would take it. There are many women that want to have children that can't. I, I know several occasions, I know one of my aunts wanted to have a child so bad it hurt. Until she was in her 90s, she would talk about it. And you could see the pain that she never had a child of her own. And she tried for a long time. But you know, she fostered. She helped a camp in, in eastern Kentucky called Camp Nathaniel, her and her husband, where they would bring children who didn't have parents and they would let them through the summer so they had something to keep them busy until they went back to school. She had 20,000 plus children in 70 years of running that camp. She was a spry, healthy. She lived to be 100 and lived on her own. She gardened in her garden until 92 years old. She fostered. She was a mother to far more children than she could have ever physically had. That was God's doing. God said, suffer a little now for the future. But we all know that being a mother is suffering every day <laughs> continually. For the children that you do have, it's a different form of suffering. But it is. The nights that you sit up at night fretting over your adult children, what they're going to do, what they're going to say, where they are, who they're with. The the mornings that you get a phone call, Mom, I got to talk to you about this. Mom, I have to and every single thought that they could possibly have gotten themselves into floods through you at all one time. And you get that cold feeling. And luckily they just say, well, I'm gonna to go to Cedar Point, and you go, "Oh." <laughs> or they say, well, I was in jail last night. And you go, oh, my mom had a lot more of that. I'm in jail last night than the other. Not for me, I've never been in jail. Even at my size, I could run fast, so they, ver- <laughs> they didn't catch me. Every woman in here is a mother in some way or another. You've, you've been a mother to somebody. Whether you know it or not, you may not even know. They may never turn around and say, thank you. You were somebody. And if you were under God, if you were used to doing it for all the right reasons, it doesn't matter because God saw it. God saw it. God's going to bring it up. When you stand before the throne, And they say, oh, well, this person went to Africa and they did all these things. And this guy, he was a pastor of a church for 40 years and all these things. And if all you ever did was raise two children, you say, well, I raised two children, did what I could, had a couple grandchildren. God will look at you and say, well done. That's what I asked. You did what I asked. Do it with all reverence. Do it with your whole heart. Do everything you do to the glory of God. Not you. Not a man. Be God. Subject yourself. you That's put yourself under. God's authority. And if the man is not a coward, he will take his place. And you will see why God says that. In the meantime, if there is no man willing to step up, step up. What you as a mother, what you as a woman can do, what you are capable of doing, be the woman of God, you're called to be.